From 2 Corinthians 13, 13, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We are so glad that you are seeking God with us, and we pray that the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you. I am Brian Niebank, pastor of Zion United Church of Christ Fireside in Bellevue, Ohio. I thank you for joining us today as we seek to walk together with God, expressing our love in Bible study and prayer, living the life of the church and serving others and worshiping God. May God bless you today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How often have you been searching for the right words to say and have not quite found them right when you want it to, right when you want them? Could be in speech or it could be in writing. But it tends to happen, I think, with all of us pretty often. Is that right? Especially as you get older. But you're always searching for the right words to say, and you always think of them later. Well, I'm always searching for the right words to say when I write a sermon every week and trust that that inspiration will come. But uh, we face it in whatever we do, uh, especially if we're trying to write. Uh, for, for God, or with God, rather. Now, when, you are, when we are awaiting the right words to come, we may be tempted to turn to another task that feels more controllable or resolvable, something that we feel that we can handle, and we might go back later to... Uh, to to what we were trying to do, if we can. Sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. But we know that we will not muddle in darkness forever. The, pro- the Spirit will move. However long it takes, sometimes, sometimes the Spirit doesn't move to, for me until Friday or Saturday, but often it's nicer, it takes less stress away when the Spirit moves from me on Tuesday, if you know what I'm saying. But the Spirit always moves and will come through for us if we trust in that dawn of revelation, if we do not give up on the Spirit. Now, the prophet Isaiah spoke into our hearts last week. Some hearts that may be lacking hope, and other hearts that are seeking to spread that hope to others. 
He spoke into a land that was full of hopelessness. Immediately after the people had returned from their exile in Babylon, they came back to the land that their ancestors had known, some full of hope for a new start, and others wondering why they left the land that had become their home. The ones who had not wanted to leave reinforced their opinion when they saw that the land they were moving to was in devastation. They probably told those who, those who led them out of Babylon, I told you so, we shouldn't have gone here. Where we were was so much better than where we left. Yet Isaiah still spoke words of hope to the people through his prophecy. He told the people that God would rejoice over them there and that Jerusalem would be a crown of beauty in God's heart. He trusted that the Spirit would move there too, even when it did not seem like the Spirit was with them in that moment. And Nehemiah spoke a similar hope. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah were both written during the same time as 3rd Isaiah, a time when the temple and the city wall are being rebuilt after the exile. Hope is slowly being found in this rebuilding itself throughout these two books. Yet in the scripture reading for today, in Nehemiah chapter 8, there is no mention of the temple building itself, that is, of the temple actually being built. It tells us a different story. The people told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. The scribe did not bring the book of his own accord. The people who were gathered asked for it. They wanted to hear the word of the Lord read in their hearing. In these days, no one had a copy of the Bible for their own personal possessions like we do today. So the only way that they heard the book read was through oral readings by scribes and religious leaders. They hungered for the word of the Lord in this moment. They hungered for the hope that they found by hearing the word of God. They saw encouragement. Should we be any different today? The only negative aspect of having Bibles published everywhere is that it is not as special to us as it once was. We take it for granted, we being Christians in general, not necessarily us, but we know that many Christians do, and you may or may not be included in that. But we have it so that it can sit on a shelf at home collecting dust. Perhaps we should change our attitudes so that we can really see how much of a blessing it is to own a copy of the Bible. So many before us 
could only dream of such a thing. Some still do dream of such a thing. There's many in countries that still cannot get a Bible. We are lucky compared to them. The first takeaway then is that we should take advantage of the extraordinary privilege that we have been given. The second is that we need to reestablish the same hunger for the Word of God as the people did after their return from Babylon. I have mentioned that I want to focus on prayer this year because I know that it is a very important way of establishing our relationship with God. And we should all feel that we are empowered to engage in prayer. Today, the scriptures place particular emphasis on the Word of God as found in Scripture. It is all the Word of the Lord. It is all God communicating with us. In the next weeks, within the spirit of Epiphany, we will be searching for hope amid the various resources that we have available to us. Where can we find hope? Where can our hunger for hope be fulfilled? Today we hear that our hunger for hope can be fulfilled in Scripture. In the coming weeks, we will discuss other ways that hope is fulfilled by our coming to God. Hear the way that the people of Jerusalem greeted the reading of the book of the Lord. When Ezra opened up, when Ezra opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is one of the few passages in the Old Testament where we see an understanding of what Old Testament worship of God was like. We are told that they all worship God. But here, we see how they worshiped God. How they worshiped God with such passion and awe. This reminds me of the way that the book was greeted during Catholic Mass which I had the opportunity to attend many times while at Siena College near Albany, New York. It is a Catholic college and it is also a Franciscan school. And I learned many valuable insights about the friar's way of life. But at Mass, the book was brought in by the chaplain, the Bible, was brought in by the chaplain. And as he walked, he held it high above his head. Like this. If you've been to a Catholic Mass, you may have uh, seen uh, that being done. And while he brought the book in, the choir sings a worship song. 
the attending parishioners often join in. Before the book was even opened, before it had even been lifted, before or before the book was even opened, it had been lifted up. God had been praised, and the people of God had been humbled before it. I have never seen a UCC church do that, but is there not something to learn from this reverence toward the Word of God? I like praying before the reading of Scripture to remember who has given us this Word and that we may hear it wisely. We should always greet the Word of the Lord with reverence and awe no matter where we are. No, we do not need to stand every time it is read, although we may. We do not need to sing about it all the time, although we might be moved to. We do not have to have only ordained people read the Word of God either, as they did back then. But we need to hear the Word of God with reverence and awe. When we grow tired of it, if we ever do grow tired of it, we will cease to find hope in what God has done, and with that, we will cease to find hope in what God is about to do and is still doing. That's the danger of it becoming less and less special to us. So you want to speak against that. Now we may be confused by the verse of our selection today that notes all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Were they grieving? Were they upset? Were they mourning? It was likely a combination of all three of these. First, they were grieving the state of the holy city and praying for God's promise to be revealed. Second, they may have recognized their own failures in believing the promises of God, and that's why they can be upset. And third, they may have been moved to emotional tears because of how sweet the word of God really is. We have the same responses to hearing the faithful proclaim the hope of God. Some of us see the destruction around us with the chaos that we live in and grieve the state of the world. Others of us recognize the, our unfaithfulness to God, not in terms of believing in other idols necessarily, but of lacking confidence and trust in God. Many of us are moved to those kinds of happy tears that we get when we're so happy that we cry. We become emotional. Perhaps you can relate to all three. The problem arises if we are not moved at all by hearing the word of God. If you hear the word of the Lord and do not feel it speaking 
for itself, as it seemed to among those in Jerusalem. Perhaps you are either not listening carefully when it is being read, or you value something else more than the Word of God. Now, our hunger and hope we do find, our hunger for hope, our hunger and hope for something new can be found in Scripture. We are fortunate to have the access to God's Word that we do. We should take advantage of that and spend some time with Scripture each day, or at least as regularly as we are able to. When we do, I hope that we hear it in the context of those who heard it in that particular context, such as the people who were hearing Nehemiah speak and then worship the Lord, and such as Job who is hearing his friends speak as we're going through Job in our book study. We can relate to the context that we actually see and the people that we see in the Bible because they are people like us. And we also want to relate and bring in our own context to figure out how it applies to our world today. I try to do this in every sermon on every text, the two main pieces of a sermon, the context of the text, and then apply it to our lives. We should do the same when we read Scripture. Now, if you are not one to express emotion outwardly, that's fine. But if you are one, you are encouraged to let that emotion out. We'll see how many people are dancing down the aisles next week. Whether you want to raise your hands in praise or clap to a song, there is nothing stopping you other than the fear that you did not want to be the only one. Been there. I think that's a legitimate fear for most of us, if not all of us. But we are still missing one critical element of the Nehemiah story. In verse 8, we are told that the interpretation of the reading was given so that the people might understand. You are not expected to understand everything that you read and or hear the first time you see it. That may be encouraging for some of you who may not understand what the Bible is trying to tell you right away. God does not expect you to. But you need to seek out explanations. You need to read commentaries for more in-depth Bible study or speak to others about the scripture reading. Choose a particular study Bible where you can read the short notes about the text. Journey with other Christians who are studying the same text as you. It's part of what we try to do in our book group as we go through Job and other books as well. These authors and these friends will add context to the reading and help you apply what you read to your daily life as a Christian. There are many, many reasons to be discouraged. The world is in crisis. 
There is violence and sickness and hunger everywhere. And we do not have the adequate resources to respond in the way that the church should because there are not enough people in the church. And more people do not want to join the church because they do not see the church being the church. It is a vicious cycle that we find ourselves in. But we will just burn ourselves out even further if we try to be everything to everyone and not refocus and look at our foundation. It all begins from our foundation. Our foundation can be prayer, but here, in this case specifically, it is Scripture. We need to look at our foundation as the church and also as individuals. At our annual meeting last week, we talked about focusing on ourselves for a year. We want to care for our building, organize what we have here, and prepare our space for the vision that we hope for. I think it was the annual meeting too. We talked about our faith formation, but I think it was I think we brought it up at annual meeting also. We want to organize the spaces, picturing them filled again with people, with classes, and with activity. As we focus on our own home, it is with the vision that we will use it to change people's lives, just as it has for almost 192 years. We should have the same vision for ourselves. We are part of that vision. We are also part of God's mission to change lives. But to do so properly, we need to be properly grounded in Scripture. We need to have a strong foundation. So when you read Scripture, ask what you may not understand. You may have heard this before from the teachers among us. But there is no such thing as a dumb question. Teachers may relate. Ask. Ask God. Ask a friend. Ask a pastor. Ask anyone in your life. But do ask when you do not understand something. Even if it's something I've said today. Go ahead and ask. Further. Try to hear the words of the Lord in awe and reverence, just as the Jews held their sacred scripture in faithful awe and reverence toward God. And finally, do not gloss your eyes over scripture and call it quits. This is what I did when I set myself the challenge to read the Bible in one year back in 2010 in 7th grade. I read the Bible read the Bible, but really glossed over a lot of it. But I have gotten a lot more out of the books, reading and discussing them slowly through our Bible study. Read and study Scripture and take your time, however much time you want. Talk about it and read what other people have to say. Come to our Wednesday Bible study. The more that are able to come, the merrier it will be. Even if you just want to turn your video off and just listen for a few weeks. That's been done before. 
Give God every opportunity to reach you. We will not hear the voice of God if we decide that we do not hear the voice of God. We will not hear the voice of God if we decide that we do not already hear the voice of God and don't believe that we ever will. God is still speaking, giving us hope for a better tomorrow and a life for a better today. The scene at the water gate is not the 1970s. In, in ancient Jerusalem, it is nothing short of a revival. The heart of the Lord has been renewed in the hearts of the people. All the people were gathered to witness to this event. May there be a revival in our own hearts and in our own community as well. We want people to come back to the churches. And for that, we want to focus first on what makes us who we are. What is our foundation? There is no east. There is no west. There is no limit to how far the word of the Lord can reach. So thanks be to God, and amen. Our next hymn is In Christ There Is No East or West. And it's also found in your inserts. It is from the Worship and Rejoice hymnal. Thank you for joining us here at Zion United Church of Christ Fireside in Bellevue, Ohio. If you would like to reach out to us, we would be thrilled to journey with you on your walk with God. Call us at 419-483-6658 in the United States. Reach out to us on our Facebook page or send us an email at zionunited at gmail.com with any prayer requests or questions you may have. Remember to make time for God and confess Jesus as your way to God to give you hope in this life. May you be blessed by God and be a blessing for another. We hope to see you again.